Welcome to the Explore More podcast with me, Ralph Plaskett, and we have someone new this season, season two of the Explore More podcast. That is my good friend right over there, Lorenzo Seabrook. And we are welcoming you into this first episode of the podcast um, where we are going to dig deep into deep conversations uh, to be able to support you in your growth and development. Right, so what's happened? Let's let's give a bit of a, a rundown of what happened last season. You saw my face, and you saw me conversate having a conversation with you, which is quite difficult because there was no real interaction. It was just me staring at the camera talking. But nevertheless, we had great conversations, and we had about thirty, thirty-one of those conversations. But then season two, what we're doing differently here is bringing in my good friend, Lorenzo Seabrook. Lorenzo Seabrook, I'm gonna allow him to give his own spiel, um, but we have been friends for about over 10 years. Uh, he is also a coach, an amazing coach, if I might add. And we often have the conversations that we, you are about to watch. We often have these conversations amongst each other uh, just for fun. And in one of those conversations here recently, you know, it came up and we said, hey, why, why, don't we, why don't we just put this together in a true partnership and let's just see where it goes from there. And I'm all about experiment and I like to see how things go. So why not try to figure out what the next steps will be for, for this podcast? And certainly um, we find value in the conversation and we think you will find value in the conversation as well. So well, welcome to season two of the Explore More podcast. And welcome to Lorenzo Seabrook. Hey, Zo. Hey, Ralph. I really appreciate the warm introduction. Um, actually, I'm flattered, to be quite honest with you. As you know, I don't take, uh, I'm just not using, I'm not comfortable in that space, right? You know, but uh, thank you. Thank you. And I'm really excited uh, to actually be a part of season two. I made the cut. <laughs> and so, uh, how lucky am I, right? Uh, but again, truly, my heartfelt thanks. Um, it's definitely an honor to be here. And um, thank you to your audience as well. Um, a little bit more about who I am. Yes, I'm Lorenzo Seabrook. And as Ralph has mentioned, yeah, I'm a coach. Uh, and I like to summarize that particularly as, you know, someone who just really partners with you in any particular type of conversation. All the support of you at the end of the day. Nothing fancy. I'm just an average guy, you know, doing my thing. And I fully believe in just supporting. Um, that's who I am at my core. And so, you know, when Ralph brought the idea of this, the Plastic Institute, as well as Explore More podcast, you know, I was eagerly anxious to just jump in, provide my support for him and his family. And to you all. Um, so I look forward to all the episodes that uh, that I'm actually going to be a part of. I'm not sure how many there will be. Hopefully it's only one. Maybe you fire me. <laughs> uh, but I'm really excited about it. And um, I'm looking forward to it because I just don't know what to expect at this point. So and I think that's going to be the real exciting part of this, uh, these conversations, right? Because we don't, we haven't, you know, gone into a, cave and try to figure out what this is going to look like we just said let's do it and and record and let's see what happens uh, so that's i think going to be the most exciting part of it all yeah and, and and 
I mean, you, as you said, you know, we've known each other for 10 years, and one thing you may have learned about me, I that structure thing is, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not sure how much I can do it anymore. So I, I welcome the off-the-cuff, the spontaneity, if you will, and uh, just truly not knowing what the destination looks like. Yeah. Yeah, I think, especially in this new environment that we find ourselves in, in this COVID world, right, with the, uh, I've heard it called the great pause, the response to the pandemic. Um, you know, especially in this environment where it's so fluid, where, where we're trying to learn how to embrace complexity, where we are, we are just in this space, right, of the structured stuff not being so rigid anymore. Um, it, it just seems like we need to learn or it is, it is in our best interest in society to learn how we can flex uh, with the, the new occurrences of stuff happening. Uh, here we go. <laughs> here we go. So as you, you, you eloquently phrased it, or framed it, the great pause, I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm wondering, what is to be said about the phrase great pause? You know, and I don't mean to go there so early. I'm not sure if that's for the intent here, but the question hey, is, we're running with it. What, what? When people say great pause, what do they actually mean? What do you think, you know, what, what's driving them to even come to that conclusion? So when I first heard it, when I heard the first, the term great pause, you know, I, I took it as, well, you know, this is the first time, at least in our history, and you live in person's history now, um, where the entire globe, which is so interconnected now, more than any time in the past, Entire globe at in some point in this whole pandemic all stopped, right? We all went indoors and we all we we tried to shelter in place um, in an effort to slow the progression of the virus, right? And what that created for us, since we weren't running and running and running, and um, what that created for us was a moment to take a pause, and you know, and in that space. We came to learn, either intentionally or, or, or by force, um, what was important for us, you know, what was important in life in general, right? We, we, and then through the, the flow of the pandemic, what we also learned um, was who was important for, to us, right? You have so many people who have lost loved ones um, or they've, they've lost loved ones and then they couldn't even be there you know, in their passing or be able to celebrate their life through, through a funeral or something of the sort because of the COVID conditions. So when I first heard great pause, I'm like, okay, well, man, everybody slowed down by, by force of the COVID uh, virus. Everyone slowed down at the same time as opposed to whatever occurrences of someone taking stock of their own life and realizing or recognizing that they need to take a pause um, and, and have the realization of those things that are important. Yeah. I appreciate you 
saying that. And, and again, for me, it's like, wow. It took a pandemic for people to realize what's most important. Yep. Even more so, the question becomes, what were they truly defining as important prior to the pandemic? And I get it. We run to and fro the job, you know, this, that, and the other, so forth and so on. But what really was that intrinsic motivator? What was really at their core, at our core, right? you know, prior to the pandemic? So that, you know, so now we conclude that there's a great pause, per se. And doesn't even take all of that. It doesn't. But, you know, and so you say intrinsic, and I'm, I'm, I'm vibing off of that right now. You know, I, I think it takes it takes a lot of intention to recognize what is one's intrinsic motivation, right? Otherwise, we get into the flow of the expectation of what society kind of calls up for us mm. or the expectation of what our job is demanding of us or the expectation of what family is the, uh, demanding of us. And we just continue to ride that, um, ride that expectation until we have some junction in our lives, right, that causes us to have a pause, right? A interaction with a coach like us or um, a, a, a traumatic experience that requires the slowdown, right? Or a growth opportunity that demands intentional um, introspection. Um, and as a result, we, you know, we then get the benefits of that pause um, and, and then look at what is the motivation, our intrinsic motivations. But beyond that, you know, we're so much in routine that, that we, we don't look at, you know, what is the thing that is driving us? What is the thing that fulfills us? What is the thing that is deeply to our core that brings us light and purpose and intention and happiness? Yeah. It's interesting, you know, question that resonates is what, what causes us to miss ourselves in the routine? Ooh, that's good. What causes us to miss ourselves? In the routine. In the routine. You know, so, so one part of that for me goes back to the expectation of what life is. Right, we all hold an expectation of how our life should unfold. Um, either you know, imprinted on us by our, by our you know, parents or siblings or society, whomever. Um, it's most likely for most people, it's been imprinted on on us from an external source, not an internal intrinsic force source. Um, so that is the way that we're playing out the blueprint called our lives, right? Um, until, you know, the, uh, a, a pandemic or until uh, something like this happens where that causes us to say, whose blueprint is this? Do I connect with this blueprint? Is it really mine? Or is it a carbon copy of, you know, my parents, you know, my, my dad, my mom, my sibling, who I really, really, really loved and I just looked up to? 
or is it was it my? Yeah, what's interesting as you you say that is <clears throat> comes to mind is you know, people going through this thing called life and not living. Ooh. Yep. Um, and what I term as you know living is again exactly what you just mentioned. Acknowledging what's your blueprint as you journey throughout this time. You know, exploring, uh, owning, uh, experiencing for yourself what it is that you desire, as opposed to what someone else may have prescribed for us. And I, I just find that to be very, you know, more interesting. I mean, you you have we. We have so many people who come to a realization that some people like to term a midlife crisis, uh, but they come to a realization at some point in their lives, like, and they ask themselves, what am I doing? Um, what's next? You know, who am I? You know, what value did I bring? Those types of things. I, I hear those questions often. Um, and I just find it very interesting. Again, coming right back to the phrase "great pause," um, or I should say, the label, which that could be a whole other conversation itself about oh, labeling. You know it. You know it. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, it's very interesting. Um, I, I definitely acknowledge and, and agree with your your perspective on the the blueprint. And I it's just, man. Yeah. So I, I want to pick up on where you said the midlife crisis, right? In some junction in someone's lives, but midlife crisis is a common one that we all, um, would it seem that we all have an awareness of, right? That it, it, that has happened or it's going to happen. Um, and it's so common that we find it in movies, we find it in books, we find it in any source of entertainment uh, of this conversation about, oh, man, I'm going to have a midlife crisis or, or I am going through one. And, you know, the description is usually, you know, the male goes out and buys a, a hot rod car because they want to feel young again because they're going through that midlife crisis. You know, I, I think it's, I think it's really interesting, right? That, that, Society has been able to capture that um, as a as a thing, as an as an experience that a large portion of the population has. Right, that's the only way that society is able to capture that, and we're able to capture that because so many people go through it. Which means, again, so many people are going through the the lack of an authentic blueprint. Where they're just running life based on the expectation of them. So now they get to a point where this expect, the thing that they've been doing, successful or otherwise, um, they've caught to a point where they look at it and they're like, what's the point? How am I getting? And, and, and for me, what's the point translates to what is the fulfillment mm -hmm. am I receiving? in this way that I have been executing on life. What is this? Which comes back to purpose mm. in my mind. 
and I know a phrase always that comes up is, you know, being a tourist in life as opposed to, you know, a purposeful traveler. So yeah, this fulfillment aspect that you, you bring up, you know, I, I firmly believe that this really comes back to identifying, okay, who am I at the end of the day? And yeah, you know, I got it. Everybody else has expectations of me. But the reality is, what's the expectation of myself? Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes we don't sit down and ask ourselves that, that point in question. What is it that I want to do? I want to be or become. Um, and I think when we allow those external voices, uh, stimulus, if you will, come in, then we begin to pay a lot of attention to that as a, and just start missing ourselves. And again, I'm not saying anything's wrong with external stimulus. I think there's a there's a place for that. Uh, however, I think it's more important that we realize as individuals, okay, what am I going to do? You know, and not get caught up in in everything else and the rat race and the whole nine yards. I mean, man. And that's a whole other conversation itself because you can run the rat race a lot more efficiently when you truly believe in your own core values and your strengths as opposed to just running with a bag of blocks or rocks and you know and thinking you're gonna jump a hurdle. But anyway. yes. uh, no, no, because I'm 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 going there with you, right? Because so as you were talking, what the imagery that came up for me, right, is the, the firm foundation, right? Where we can anchor. And, and I wanna use the descriptor of anchor, right? Cause an anchor can then get pulled up and then anchored back down. Um, and we need to recognize that how important that is in, in as we learn and develop and grow for ourselves, you know, we can't be so firm in foundation as, as, a, as, a, as a mountain, if you would, where we can't move in, in, in our growth. You see where I'm going there? So, but it's important to be anchored in our core, our purpose, our intent, and to do that expo uh, exploration journey, right? To understand what that is, so that when all of the shiny new objects are coming around or the wind is blowing and trying to move us from our position from where we are anchored, um, you know, we know what the thing is that is going to provide us fulfillment, what the thing is that is important to us, what the thing is that is, um, you know, that is going to provide us some level of gain versus a loss because we've been anchored in the, our core and regardless of the thousand things that are going to come our way we're not moved by those things but but we're well positioned because we know where we stand what comes up for me is you know <laughs> what prohibits what's stopping us from 
really exploring ourselves and paying more attention to the outside. I know that's a two-point question. That's very bad on my part. But you know, what really, what really just at the end of the day, so you know what, I'm not, I don't need to sit here and think about me or really explore this to really get out there the next thing. I don't know. They got all jacked up, mumble jumble too. No, I, 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 I think you're going down a pretty interesting path there, Zoe. Um, I have a view on it. I don't know this to be true or not. Um, I can only speak of my experience as a you know Western civilization er. Right. <laughs> Is that short for American? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go for American there, right? <laughs> we have to actually put that on on the voting ballots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, check. I'm a Western civilization er. <laughs> no, but as a Western civilization er, right? Uh, you know, th there there isn't a time that I can recall where there was an intention of looking inwards. I wasn't taught in school of an intention of looking inwards. I wasn't taught at home. I wasn't taught in any clubs. I wasn't taught anywhere in my society um, of looking inwards. I know that has changed a lot since I've become, and um, since I was a child. Um, yet, I, I have an idea, this perception rather, that in Eastern civilization, um, the thought of looking inwards is more than, than that in Western civilization. So if we hold that to be true, right, at a minimum, we can say as Americans, you know, it's certainly, you know, as we were growing up, that wasn't an experience that was common. Um, and as a result, we didn't know how to do it, right? It's not something that you just automatically doing. And I mean, just battling our own thoughts is already difficult as it is, right? And to recognize that we can actually have, um, have an option to win the battle of our, our mind uh, and the thought, our thought life, that's where I was going there, um, to actually recognize that we can observe it and we don't have to necessarily act in it, or we can take it and we can then unpack it is one thing, much less taking a look at it, really truly unpacking it and then saying, okay, well, what does this mean and how is it important? And how is this showing up in my life? What impact is it having in my life? You know, how can I then turn this around for an, a, a renewed energy and be able to support, you know, whatever goal aspirations that I have that going on in my life? That, those kind of conversations aren't, aren't, aren't in Eastern, Western civilization, aren't common. Certainly, you know, we've experienced it with, all, with the clients that we've had. I can't recall a client who has had intentional, um, an intentional, regular cadence of introspective evaluation. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, what will it take to really cultivate this inward and in, inward look 
this introspection, not just for adults, but as you described, you know, because we haven't received it, you know, for the most part coming up, being, you know, as a kid, come up to the ranks. Um, what would it take to cultivate introspection at an earlier age so that we learn, the next generation will learn to be more whole, to be more self? I think you got to throw it in the schools. You actually have to put it in the schools and it has to be and it has to be viewed as a valuable learning opportunity, right? You can't just put it in as some experiment and then it goes away um, from the schools, but it has to be foundational. There's this, um, there's this group that I follow, um, Pathfinder Institute. There, it's, um, it derived from or it works in coordination with the Stanford Design School. Right now, what they're doing is that K through 12, um, they are they have schools who have either found them or they have gone to these schools across the country, um, and they're teaching this exact stuff, and they're working with the administration and they're certainly working with the uh, students on um, bringing in introspection, bringing in purpose conversations, bringing in um, mindfulness, bringing in this type of um, inward look of the world around you and making sense of the feelings that we go through as, as adolescents, um, that we either, you know, you either get the, uh, just, just uh, suck it up and keep it moving, um, or you get the, you know, you know just cry it out and, and, and keep it, either way, it's not a dealing with the emotions. Right, it's a it's an overthrowing of the emotions. Um, so this school, Pathfinder Institute, rather they are, I guess, a consultancy of, if you would, they're working with K through 12. But they, they, it's not like it's in, in every school. It's not at the federal level where it gets in at every school as early as kindergarten uh, and build it up throughout the K through 12. Yeah, and I was offered. You know, you mentioned school systems. Uh, I think there has to be, you know, definitely education. Matter of fact, I'll say definitely an immersive environment for parents, right? Because um, the kids can go to school all day, and if their environment at home is completely opposite, contradictory, right? Then what, what do we have? Then we still have some emotional kids, if you will, who can't make sense or who is not understood, or don't even have this free space to have that conversation at home. Right. Um, which, in my opinion, that's where the learning really starts at home, as opposed to the school system. Um, again, that, that could be my bias. Public school. I'm a product of it. Don't get uh, me wrong. I, I, I'm a product of it. And even something else you mentioned, um, you know, <laughs> when we say suck it up and drive on, you know, I was one of those kids too. Uh, I was one of those kids where, one, I didn't, as a matter of fact, not just a kid, even as an adult, man, for a great portion of my life, man, 
trying to make sense of emotions. Matter of fact, I shut it off purposefully. Mm. Um, <laughs> shut it down, man. That was not part of the equation. Check your emotions at the door was, you know, a phrase that I heard coming up. That was a phrase that I even echoed for decades until I came to a point of realization that, man, that's a whole, at least a third of my me, if you will, that's missing, that I'm unable to communicate with. And, um, yeah, most people would have seen me like, man, that big dude talking about being emotional, yeah, I guess it's more about just understanding more so than, quote, unquote, being defined as emotional. Um, so, yeah, I, I like that. I, I like that. I think... Um, I just think it's, it's just needed, uh, especially as we look at the world today. Well, what I just heard you say, um, two things, really. One was it takes a multifaceted approach in order to you know, nurture this environment um, that supports an introspective look as a, a cultural norm. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, and then you shared your own experiences around how you had to shut down emotional support um, for one reason or the other. Well, the reality was it was seen as being weak. You know, you have a, a, a man, grown, grown human being, adult male, who's expressing their emotional, and I say adult male, they can range from age from 15 to whatever, right? But who's expressing their emotional, quote unquote, emotional side and you're being perceived as weak. So then, right, this, this has me wondering, right, the perception of what a man, because you, you said male, so I'm going to target that man, we're both men, right? Truthfully, I can't speak anywhere else, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> and I can only speak from a black male perspective either, too. <laughs> so, civilization perspective. There you go. <laughs> right, right, right. So, the definition of what a man is maybe today, maybe it still is like this today. I think it's certainly the conversation is happening. Right? But certainly in the past, there was no conversation about what manhood was. It was anticipated that a man was strong, he wasn't emotional, uh, he was all of these pillars of, of quote-unquote strength, yeah. as, if, as if being in touch with your emotion wasn't strength. Right? In fact, I think it is um, more strong, even stronger whatever the right word is, I think it's stronger to be in touch with your emotion and deal with the difficulty that those emotions are than not. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be difficult, right? It's difficult because we have no one, we have no, uh, well, I, let me speak for myself. It was difficult because I had very little understanding of what emotion again when the phrase the, the term emotions came up immediately i went to the negative 
mm. not realizing that okay. emotions is much greater than just right. my own set of experiences or my own frame of reference. So even as we talk about the definition of a man or male or man manhood, I think we also have to peel back the onion a little bit more and really dig into okay all these core things that that feeds into that and understand okay well, what is it that we have we have defined at one point in time and what is it that's missing what's that gap between that and or i should say what was and what is uh, yeah yeah so for me that emotional thing where it was huge it was huge and I'm, you know, that, that was a good learning right there for me right because even as i was even if i even as I thought I knew what emotions were, are, um, I still leaned towards emotion, at least in the context of this conversation, emotion as negative, right? And, and I think some, well, I, and I, I will perceive from my lens that so many people go, fall into that, uh, that, that thought process, that perspective as emotion is negative, right? Because I, I, was, I was even framing and saying, okay, well, yeah, you know, the, the difficult thing in the emotion is think about when, you know, you had that love and you broke up, man, that hurt. That hurt. Yeah. Um, but also in that, that same vein of the hurt in that love, right, was also the, the joy and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, all of the goodness right, that came with that love. Right. right? All of that is the same emotion. There was Ja Rule who had the album Pain is Love. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> and he got, we were watching some episodes of, I don't know, it's a VH1, man, but he had, uh, he was on there, man. And just his normal conversation. Ja Rule got his deep bass in his voice, man. I don't know how he do it. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that emotional thing, man, that was something for me. As a matter of fact, this year, 2020, um, I, I was one of the goodness from the pandemic, if you will, the pause, the great pause. Um, just through my own self-reflection and studying, uh, coming across, I don't say coming across, just reading even more, researching and studying a bit more, and, and really just overlaying my own life experiences around the topic. It was like, wow. And I began to think to myself, man, what if I had of known this X amount of years ago? Yeah, yeah. Where would I be? What could have been different? You know, those type of questions. And the way I got over that hump was really, you know, acknowledging the fact that okay, I wasn't as educated, I wasn't as aware uh, in that particular area, and just began to challenge myself to grow even more. And at the same time, not holding myself or anchoring myself to what could have been. Right. Because I think it's just as important as we acknowledge, okay, we may not be as uh, aware on a particular topic. Don't, don't hold ourselves in judgment uh, to that because a lot of people get stuck. You know, woe is me. Mama didn't do this or daddy didn't do this or the education system sucked. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Might be facts, but what's next? Right. 
what are you going to do about it? And um, which comes back to this notion of you know self introspection, the self uh, tongue tie introspection, right? Right. I think it's certainly a yes and, right? I need to come with that at some point. I, I can't help it, man. I can't help it, right? You know, you know, these may be, you know, these may be facts. These may be your truths that you're currently living with. And there is an opportunity, right? So we can either live in the, that truth um, or that perspective, um, or we can, we can recognize it for what it is as an opportunity for growth, you yeah. know? Right, and then being able to tackle the, that growth opportunity. Yeah. Also, excuse me, I didn't mean to No, 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 go ahead. And you mentioned growth opportunity, and I think was just as valuable in that conversation. And you said, I can. I mean, we, meaning I, you know, that person owning it, as opposed to subscribing to someone else's uh, definition of growth opportunity. Again, which I think is a huge difference as people moving forward in life. Oh, agreed. Agreed. Right? If, here's my lens on it, right? As my earplugs get pulled out. <laughs> now, that's all I'm excited I am. I'm pulling out my air, AirPods. Um, here's my, my lens on it. If we have been given the sight to see the error, that means we have the opportunity and the ability to write it. We've seen the error, we therefore have the opportunity to write it. Not because we see it, that means everyone else sees it. So if we see it, we have the ability, rather we have the um, obligation to champion the better way of doing it, whatever it is that we identify. We may not be the sole person, right? We might need to get, but if we have the if we see it, that means we need, in DC area, they all say, you see something, you say something, right? Too many of us see something and we don't want to say something or we don't want to take the ownership of the thing that we saw. We'd rather just say, okay, well, yeah, it's them. No, I saw it. That means I have an obligation to do right, do something about what I saw. Yeah. Oh, man. Which comes back to, man, so many things come up. I'll take a reputation management. We're trying to manage our own reputations in a situation. And then, of course, you know, you mentioned the D.C. area. So, of course, what most people trap to when they hear that, they think about, you know, not, you know, suburbs, if you will, or surrounding D.C., but they think about more the inner city. So probably some people are thinking, man, inner city, most people don't want to snitch. Right. <laughs> and as, again, even coming up as a, as a, as a black male in, in the South, you know, there's something you just didn't talk about. Right. You seen something, hey, that's none of your business. And man, this could probably even go to a deeper perspective because 
consider the cultural impact of one's lived experience. Mm -hmm. That prohibits them from living their fullest intent today. And, you know, we, we hear a lot of conversations around, and I, I didn't mean to go here today in this conversation. At least no, this is I great. Didn't, I didn't go over scripted, but we hear a lot about the social injustices and things of the sort and all different walks of life. And as we continue to peel that onion further and further, you know, the cultural impacts on one life and how it prohibits us or even propels us. Um, oh man. There's a lot of work to be done. <laughs> Certainly. Right. And, and to, I think to your point, my lens on that is, you know, so our lived experiences, we have an opportunity and it's all on how we perceive them. Our lived experiences can show up in two, at least two ways. Yeah. Our lived experiences can be the motivation that drives us uh, to a greater inclusiveness in society or our lived experiences can be the very shackles that keep us bounded to our limitations. Yeah. And I want that our lived experiences could be that motivation that says, I gotta get by. Mm. It's about me, my forward, no more. I gotta keep rolling. I gotta right. do all I can. Right. Because there's a lot of people who's just after day in and day out, they're just trying to get it. Which comes to the perspective of individualism. Not saying anything's wrong with that. I'm definitely not saying that. Because, uh, you know, as you and I both know, as a parent, as a, as a male parent, you know, we got to get after it. We have a family. Right. But I just find that very, very interesting. Um, that more, that cultural impact that just has so many branches and sequels that one may not even consider. I wonder how much of that frame comes from comes from a space of of lack. Here's, here's what I mean by that. When one has an abundance, right, more than enough for their four, right, their household, then one starts to, hopefully at least this happens more than just in my head, one starts to look outside and say, how can I be more? How can I provide more? Well, if, if I'm in a position of lack, then I am only trying to survive, right? So I, it's, it's the, the duality, if you would, of surviving versus thriving. If I'm thriving, then I got more to throw out, right? I'm going to throw it all out. I'm going to say, okay, well, I, what I can do here, what I could do there, how can I support this? 
so on and so forth. Even if it's just one other person outside of your home, right? It's outside of your individualism. Um, but when I am, I am surviving, then I, I can't afford the, op- I, I have no opportunity, right? I can't afford a situation to go up, up above and beyond. I need to be able, if I look at it purely financially, I need to be able to get that dollar and I need to make that dollar stretch as far as I could possibly can because I need to put food on the table. And I would say, and I, I man, as you bring it up, I'm, I'm thinking about again, I was P-O-E, Pope. Um, and I recall living in that realm. And truth, my truth at the time was that was my experience so i saw what i was earning as the opportunity and i think again coming back to you know having common definitions for any type of conversation that may be you know when we say opportunity what are we actually speaking of what's the context and so as i reflected again on my my lived experience at one point in time the opportunity was yep i'm gonna get after this dollar because I gotta help provide. As I've grown and transitioned through life, opportunity became something completely different. Um, and it became more of, you know, the things that that's necessary to again align with what I have now discovered within myself. At least that's where I am today. So a huge, huge difference between what was and what is. Uh, although we're using this, the one word opportunity. Huh. Which then comes back to the base question that you asked earlier on about the core, which I <laughs> I'm laughing and smiling at you, right? Because you were beating this drum for a couple of years. Oh, and so I'm, I'm going to continue to beat it until I see it manifest, right? So that's 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 my duty. As I I said, I've taken on that duty, and I will run with it. Yeah, the great pause, but more importantly, what is it about self? What has prohibited us from realizing our true selves? despite any stimulus on external stimulus, I should say. And then living it out, right? Yes. It's one thing to acknowledge it, but I think it's more fruitful, more powerful to start living it. You get some form of, I mean, this, man, you can't beat that. You know, the Not Bible. one bit. The Bible talks about, you know, having a, a peace beyond understanding. And I, I, I tell you, I can't explain it. I mean, I can try to use the word fulfillment, uh, but it truly that scripture has come alive for me. You know, it's, it's really a peace beyond understanding. I, it's like, well, what I need? Nothing. What am I stressing about? Nothing. Why am I not stressing about? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
So yeah, I, I you know, coming back to your initial question, you know, as I reflect on my own life, it's like, man, I, I've robbed myself for many years, not intentionally, just not knowing. Right. And the beauty of it all is coming to that point of realization, coming to that juncture. And uh, if I could offer anything to anyone, you know, that self-reflection, that work, that introspection is hugely important. Hugely important. As we consider, you know, today's time or tomorrow, our kids, our grandkids, nieces, nephews, whoever that looks like, that you want to impart some, some wisdom into. Thank you for watching episode one of season two of the Explore More podcast. You just heard a really insightful conversation between myself and Lorenzo Seabrook. That's right. Lorenzo Seabrook is visiting us for this season of the Explore More podcast, and it's going to be an exciting journey ahead, right? So what you just heard was how does your authentic self show up in the midst of this pandemic that we're all going through? What I want to do is give you a bit of a behind-the-curtains look at what uh, episode number two is going to be about. And episode number two, quick hint, is going to be about how our ideal values as a society and certainly as individuals show up and how can we realize, how can we get closer to meeting those ideal values. So there you have it, guys. That's it for this week's episode of the Explore More podcast. Go ahead and visit truecompass.org to visit Lorenzo Seabrook's services and visit ralphplaskett.com for my services. Until next week, enjoy the greatness that is life.